Well, very good. This evening, uh, this morning was in some ways a continuation of my thoughts from last week. Last week we had talked about faith, and this week we continued uh, exhorting you to strive for the faith, to be tenacious in your faith, to seek into your faith with everything that is in you, to, to press toward that mark, to recognize God's promises, and to be so desirous of those promises that you will set everything and anything else aside to, to, to get them, to gain them, to strive for them. The whole New Testament is filled with exhortations unto the same. Then last week in our Sunday evening time, I spent some time uh, thinking, right? I spent some time just musing over some of the elements of the day and giving you some, I, some, some, some thoughts, some context as it relates to my thoughts on uh, the prophetic significance of this time and particularly that the prophetic significance is significantly more found in um, the morality of our culture, in the, the, uh, the, the, the health of our, of our culture, really, than it is the health of our society. That not, not, not so much the physical health that, that are those signs as much as it is the spiritual health of our society. And we see those things very clearly in the New Testament, while, while Jesus is, is quite vague about um, the physical signs of uh, his coming and the physical things, uh, earthquakes in diverse places, pestilence, and those things will be there. We've seen such things before, though, and we'll see such things again should the Lord tarry. Uh, what we also do recognize is that, that the Bible is not ambiguous about the spiritual condition of the day and that we are on our way. Well, of course, things are changing every day, and uh, we are seeing decisions made, uh, and, and those decisions, some of them are, are understandable, some of them are troubling, some things that people are saying, uh, as is always the case, um, are, can be troubling. Uh, people don't want to let a good crisis go to waste and such. And so I thought for this evening, as I was musing and praying and, and, and desiring what it is I should preach on, that, that I need to take some time and just review with you what the Bible has to say to us in regard to authority. Uh, we are in a place right now where Legacy Baptist Church has chosen, along with the majority of churches, uh, not just in uh, Minnesota, but the majority of churches in this country at the least, uh, we have chosen uh, to close our doors for a time. Uh, this is an unusual thing. Um, this is something that um, is, is somewhat startling, very uncomfortable. And yet we recognize, as I said last week, that, uh, the that the society is not closing churches, right? They're closing everything. They're not just shutting down religion in that sense. They're shutting down the economy. They're shutting down everything else. And so to that extent, um, that, that in and of itself, uh, to that extent, is not troubling. And yet, as we hear the news and read the news and uh, however it is that you consume whatever amount of news you're consuming, and of course, consume it in small doses, lest you uh, be weary in your mind and faint um, because of the tremendous amount of, of information, misinformation, discouragement, fear-mongering and such that is out there. But as you, as you have listened to these things, no doubt um, you have heard a number of people speaking in extremely authoritarian ways. Um, there have been any number of governors who have said, and, and not just governors, there have been any number of, of leaders at the national level who have said, this is an opportunity for us to reforge the nation in a new progressive way. We see in Hungary uh, that they have given emergency power to their government 
uh, with, with, without any time limit. So the government does not have a time limit at which point the emergency power goes away and they effectively have uh, dictatorial powers over their country. And we uh, have seen how in any number of places, of course, China being the most obvious, uh, there is a, a push toward authoritarianism. And then, of course, with the World Health Organization, which is as are all of these global, um, these global organizations, uh, deeply authoritarian and extremely, if you want to talk about prophetic, um, each one of them is attempting to mirror uh, very much so the kinds of things we see in um, that, that Babylonian uh, evil worship system, uh, that one world idea. And uh, so we would not be surprised from, from those folks hearing these things. But there's a tremendous push toward authoritarianism. Now, we've only seen this push uh, in, in small pockets uh, of, of leadership in the United States. And that push has not uh, gained any sort of traction. But as is very common, whenever there is a crisis, people can lose objectivity. And they are willing to sacrifice any number of liberties for the sake of a false perception of security. And with all of this being said and all of this in mind, I want to let you I want to remind you about what the Bible says in regard to the elements of authority. Not because as of now we need these things, but you ought to be tossing around in your mind the your relationship and our church's relationships to civil authorities and how it is and under what scenarios we might need to act in a way that would be either in compliance with or not in compliance with civil authorities. And as we consider this idea, the primary passages in principle are Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2. And these are the two passages that we're first going to walk through, and we're going to consider them carefully. And then after that, I want us to consider a couple of practical examples of how this played out within the scope of the New Testament church, and those practical examples we will find in the book of Acts. Book of Acts being actually our only practical demonstration of the church that is, of course, inspired, right? And so everything else, Paul gives his instructions as it relates to the church, and then we have any number of historical documents as it relates to various elements of the church, and yet this is our inspired instruction as it relates to our civil authorities. So in, in Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou wilt do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And so we see this exhortation that we would submit ourselves to authorities and specifically giving us here the purpose of authority that they are intended to be a, um, a force for good 
that God has ordained them to be a keeper of the peace, to be a terror to evil, and not to good works. And so we are called thus to submit ourselves to authorities, to uh, uh, reflect in, in that a, a willingness not necessarily to respect the individuals who are in those positions, but to respect the authority itself of the position to respect the fact that God ordains governments, that government is a God-ordained institution with a God-ordained function, and because it is a God-ordained institution with a God-ordained function, that we are going to submit ourselves to it as unto the Lord. And there are two particular reasons that are given here uh, as we continue. And let's continue a little bit, and then we'll walk through those reasons. He says in verse 5, Wherefore ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth, one, uh, loveth another hath fulfilled the law. We'll come back to that in a moment. Paul gives two general reasons in Romans 13 as to why it is we are called to submit to government. And the first reason, he says, is for, for wrath. The fact that the government uh, has authority, right? That, that God has ordained this authority, that the government has authority, and that when you put yourself on the wrong side of the government, when you put yourself on the wrong side of your civil authorities, naturally they have the authority to do something about that. And so you submit yourself Remember, we're just talking principally here, so we're, we're talking general context. Submit yourself to authority because if you do so, it will be well for you. If you do not do so, it will not be well for you. Now again, this is in a functioning society. This is a functional principle on a principled way here. Now we know that this is not true as it relates to history, as it relates to authoritarian governments, as it relates to um, many missionaries, as it relates to any number of martyrs that we can follow throughout um, throughout history. And yet what we understand is that God has ordained governments. Thus government is intended to be given the benefit of the doubt. And particularly to whatever extent the government has reasonable expectations of you because they are first, because they are able to follow, because they have the authority to back up their expectations with law, you need to obey them. So the first is very practical. Do it for wrath's sake. Do it because if you don't do it, there are consequences. Do it because if you don't do it, uh, you will find yourself on the wrong side of the law. But notice the second reason as well in verse 5. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. The first reason is because they have authority. And we understand and acknowledge that that authority, authority is given to them by God, which means to submit to your earthly authorities is to submit to your heavenly authority. And of course, that's the same for parents. That's the same for uh, the, the employer or the master, as the Bible would call it. That's the same for the husband in the case of the wife. These are God-ordained authorities, and because God has ordained the authority, it is your responsibility and obligation to submit, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. 
The idea of conscience sake, and we're going to see this significantly more in 1 Peter, is the idea of my relationship with God and, and my testimony of God unto the world. There's a testimony of God that we carry through this world, right? We are the church. We're not in a church right now, but we are the church. We are the church of God. We are the representatives of Jesus Christ to this world. And as representatives of Jesus Christ to this world, we have an opportunity to reflect Christ. We have an opportunity to show the principles of God. We have an opportunity to reflect what it is that God cares about through the manner in which we live. And so Paul says that we, we do these things, we submit to authorities, we pay our taxes, we do these things for wrath's sake, because there are consequences if we don't, and we don't need to be meeting upon ourselves unnecessary consequences. Secondly, for conscience sake, for the sake of our conscience before the Lord, for the sake of what is right before the Lord, and thus for the sake of our testimony before the world. Christians, as we talked about last week, are already quite odious in culture. We talked about that New York Times article last week, blaming Christians for the coronavirus. Not surprising. All the way back to Nero, Christians have been being blamed for things. Not surprising. And yet, we don't need to give them more than what we already have to give them. We, we, we stand for biblical principles. We stand on biblical morality. We, we do the, because we do these things, we're already bigots and homophobes and xenophobes, and we're already all the phobes. We don't need to give them anything more. They don't need more un, unnecessary things to hate us for and to, to point and say, see, they're a problem in society. And so for conscience sake, we render to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, Fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor is due. You do what's right. Do what's right. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men, right? As much as lieth in you, do right, live peaceably, honor and obey those that are due honor and obedience. Now, notice it doesn't say they're, they're worthy in that sense. There's any number of politicians who are not worthy of our fear or honor, there's any number of police officers who are not worthy of our fear and honor. Uh, I have spent a lot of time with police officers over the years. Uh, some of them are, are the biggest white-collar criminals out there. And by that, I don't mean like money laundering. What I mean is they are the, 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 the petty crime criminals, the ones that speed, the ones that drive drunk, the ones that do these things. Uh, police officers are not uh, always pristine in their keeping of the law. And yet, though that is true, and though there might be hypocrisy among our government leaders, who are in some cases the most incompetent among us, uh, among our, our civil leaders who might be quite corrupt, they are due fear and honor. And to the extent that that is due unto them, we give it unto them. We render it unto them. So, Paul says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Verse 9, For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment. So now he's speaking of commandments. These commandments are commandments given by God, but notice that the ones he gave there are only the man-to-man -man commandments, right? So we talk about the Ten Commandments, and we say 
generally that the first five are commandments that speak to my relationship with God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make into thee any graven image. Honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Um, uh, uh, honor thy father and mother. And I'm, I'm missing one there. Um, anyway, uh, the first five. And we, we recognize those first five to be the relationship between God and man. I mean, God and, uh, yeah, God and man. And then the second five are the relationship between man to man. And these are generally reflected in societal laws of moral countries. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, he says, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So then Paul reminds us of this ultimate law. Right, And the ultimate law is that I am going to put my neighbor above me. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. So I am not going to disobey the law. Not just for my own sake, but because I love my neighbor as myself. And because the whole law is comprehended in that. And if I'm loving my neighbor as myself, then I'm going to do what's right by them. And thus I am naturally going to follow within the extent of those laws that are asked and requested of me. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's number three. I'm sorry. Um, let, let, me, let me get back to, to this here. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill, it, uh, to fulfill uh, the lust thereof. And so what we find here is Paul saying, we are those who should walk honestly. Proverbs tell us, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. When I think of that verse, do you know what I think of? And I, 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 I might not, you might not like me for this, but when I think of that verse, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous is bold as a lion. I think of speeding. I think of the idea that you're driving and then you catch the sight of a, of a police car on the side of the road and the first reaction is slam on your brakes. And then you realize you weren't even going above the speed limit, but you slammed on your brakes because you sometimes are going over the speed limit. And you didn't really notice and you weren't paying attention and you don't really normally care. And so your immediate reaction to seeing an authority is to flee, right? To, to get in line when the person who goes the speed limit, who always goes the speed limit, sees that, that car, that, that police car, and, and does not think about it a second, doesn't give it a second thought because they know they're driving the speed limit. So they can be confident, they can be bold, they don't have to run, they don't have to hide. They don't have to react in that way. This happens with children, right? You walk into a room and the children run and hide. And you say, oh, okay, something was going on here. You didn't know that anything was wrong, but now because of their reaction, you do know something is wrong. Now, I'm not calling you all wicked in that sense, but, when, 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 but, but in a sense, when I'm doing wrong, 
Even if no one's pursuing me, my conscience is pursuing me. Our dog is this way. We get home and our dog gives us a look. We don't know, we, we can't, we, and then we start looking around because something's wrong. Dog is guilty, dog is being guilty again. And she just has this guilty look on her face and so we start looking for what she did. Sometimes we find something, sometimes we don't. But she is cowering, even if we never find anything that she did that we would say, yep, that's wrong, that's obvious, that's a problem. She's cowering in a corner, she's sad, she's guilty about something because she's done something that she perceives to be wrong and, she, and, and it's obvious, it's, it's evident. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as lion. Paul says here, the night's far spent, the day's at hand, so let us walk in the day, let us walk honestly. Let us not have to act in such a way as to be afraid of our authorities. Let us not walk in such a way as we are, we are living and representing ourselves falsely. Let us walk in the light. And, and, and can I just say this? Do you know how freeing that is? When you can just be yourself, when you don't have to live a lie. A lot of Christians live a lie. You come to church and you dress up and you say the right words and, 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 and then you get home and, and the language changes and everything changes and you're living a lie and that's stressful. But you know what's wonderful? When you can just be who you are. When you don't have to remember who, how to represent yourself to whom. When you don't have to remember to put on the smile. When you don't have to remember to put on the Christian veneer. When you just walk honestly as in the day. And so Paul says do that. Do that with your leaders. Walk honestly as in the day. Not in Riotness and uh, riding and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and in envy, but rather put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Do what is right. Be honest with God and man. So we have Romans 13. And in Romans 13, we are given the general principle exhortation to obey the laws of the land, to not cause trouble, to not go out of our way to be a problem to not be generally rebellious. We go to 1 Peter chapter 2 next. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, the context of 1 Peter is significantly more about suffering and persecution. And the same call exists. We see in verse 11, Paul, well, you know what? I'm going to go back a little bit farther. Let's go ahead and start in verse 1. First Peter chapter 2, the Bible says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be that ye have tasted the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built upon a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient. The stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, 
that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. We see a very similar call here. Peter is writing and he says, look, you're the church. You are church. You are lively stones, living stones built upon the foundation that is Jesus Christ. And as the church, you are a chosen generation. You are called. You're a royal priesthood. You're a peculiar nation. You're a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? How? For what reason? Until what end are we called? That we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been called out of darkness and we've been called into the light. Therefore, he says, as a people who were once not a people, but now are a people. We are a people, brethren. You and I are a people. We are Americans. We are Minnesotans. But far more than that, we are the family of God. I'm a Wickler. The rest of the Wicklers are uh, in another room watching me, presumably. But we are the family of God. We are the people of God. To that end, have your conversation honest among the Gentiles, Peter says. And they're going to speak evil of you as of evildoers. They're going to call you evil. We are going to be called evil by the world around us. The world looks at us in a, in a society that calls evil good and good evil, and we are evil. We are evil because of our beliefs on biblical morality. We are evil because we believe what the Bible says about financial and fiscal responsibility. We are evil because we believe that people are born sin, sinful and not naturally good. We are evil because we do not believe in authoritarianism. We are evil for all of these reasons. That makes us evil. That makes us uh, heartless and that makes us bigoted and that makes us all the phobes, right? We're all the, here we are again, we're just all the phobes. And yet, Peter says, Again, just as Paul said, don't give them any more. They've already got enough of a reason to, to hate you from a, from a worldly perspective. They, they, that which is the chief of the corner for us, Jesus Christ, is the stumbling stone of the disobedient. They're going to stumble at the stumbling stone, which is Christ. We know it. It's, it's, it's the way it's going to be. It, 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 it is ordained to be this way. But we don't need to give them any more. So he says that though they have any number of reasons that they're going to speak against us for our holy conversation, don't give them anything as it relates to our works. Let them behold your good works. Let them behold your kind words. Let them behold your love. Let them behold your patience. Let them behold your joy. And then in the day of visitation, so Peter is speaking of those who will never accept Christ, who hate us, who hate God, who will never be otherwise. And yet in the day of visitation, our good works will testify to them of the righteousness of Christ. And it's right on the heels of this, then in verse 13, that Peter writes this, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as 
unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Here it is. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. On the day that Kristen Stewart of the New York Times writes an article about Christians saying that we are to blame because we're science deniers, saying that we are to blame because we're bigots, saying that we are to blame because fill in the blank uh, for, 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 this, for this outbreak. We put to silence the ignorance of foolish men with our well-doing. So Franklin Graham sets up a hospital in the middle of New York with Samaritan's Purse Ministry and it puts to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So we do our part for one another and for this world around us and we do what's right and we reflect the right testimony and we put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, verse 16 says, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. We have been called unto liberty. Galatians 6 says this. For brethren, ye have been called unto, excuse me, Galatians 5. We have been called unto liberty. Only new, use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. We have liberty in Christ. We have liberty as it relates to um, our standards. We have liberty as it relates to the manner in which we live. We have liberty as it relates to our fellowship and our meeting. We are not doing anything sinful by not congregating in a, in a brick building with stained glass. We're still meeting. We have any number of ways that we could be meeting, and that is all within the scope of our liberty. And Peter says, don't use your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness. Don't say, well, the liberty that I have in Christ frees me up to be a problem to society, to be a problem to governments, to, to be a thorn in their side, to fill in the blank. That is not what our liberty is for. Our liberty is our liberty exists to serve God in a flexible and proper way. That means that we have the opportunity, such as within this crisis, we have the opportunity to use the liberty that we have. The fact that we are not bound. The Bible doesn't doesn't say thou shaltest goest to church on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Tuesday evening and you must be in the building. The Bible doesn't say that. And so at this time, we are using our liberty not as a cloak of maliciousness, not as a way to, to uh, stand upon something and, and endanger society or whatever the case may be, but we are using our liberty in this time to carefully, to deliberately reflect our care for the society we live in and our respect and honor for our government leader for their recommendations, for their desire within this time. We all have our thoughts as it relates to this crisis. How dangerous is it? How much, uh, what, what's actually going to happen? Is this overblown? Is this under underblown? Whatever it might be, we don't know. We just don't have enough information. Everybody's saying something. Everyone's saying something different. We're just kind of stuck. We've been here before. Many, many, many people, uh, we have to wrestle through these sorts of things all the time. We have to uh, parents wrestle through this, right? You hear all these things with children. For years it was, don't give your children under two peanuts. Then a study came out last year saying, nope, you need to give your children under two peanuts to help them build up you know, their, their expectation. Nobody knows. Nobody knows anything. But we're doing the best we can, right? And that's what we do. We don't use our liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but we use our liberty to serve the Lord. We use our liberty to serve one another. We do the best we can. 
But we start with this principle as it relates to scripture, as it relates to our civil authorities. We start with this principle that, and, and the principle, the desire, the expectation is submission. That, that is expectation number one, that we are going to submit. And so these are the principles. And as it continues, Peter writes, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man suffer for conscience toward God, if a man, excuse me, for conscience toward God, endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So notice within the context here, both before and after government context, um, Peter is speaking of, of a persecution or a suffering context here. And yet we submit ourselves to our authorities as unto the Lord. Now, all of that in mind, all of that being as it is, now we need to take a look at a couple of times within the scriptures where this does not happen. Where the precedent that we see, the points at which a man comes outside of government authority and defies government authority for the sake of the expectations of the Word of God. Now, we could go to any number of passages in the Old Testament, of course. We could go to Nehemiah, or not Nehemiah, um, Esther, right, and talk about Mordecai. And we could go to Daniel, and we could talk about Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and Fiery Furnace, or Daniel, and, and uh, him praying, and then getting thrown into the lion's den. So we see a number of contexts within the Old Testament where this principle of defying civil authority in order to do what God has asked us to do plays out in, in a meaningful way. But I'd like to take you to the two examples that we see particularly, and of course there's any number of them in the book of Acts, um, but I'd like you to take you to the, the, the two perhaps clearest examples in the book of Acts that relate to this principle so that we can get an idea of at what point do, does God's people say, I'm sorry, civil government or no civil government, we, we are now in a conflict. We are now conflicted between what God says and what man says. And whenever there's a conflict, and this is the principle, Whenever there is a direct conflict between what God says and what man says, we are always going to do what God says. And that is simply how this works. So in Acts chapter 5, this is very early on. This is the, the church has just begun. And in the Acts chapter 5 opens with Ananias and Sapphira, right? So we see Ananias and Sapphira are both slain by the Holy Spirit for lying to the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, we see this tremendous fear come across uh, all men, and there is this reality of the power that is behind this church, um, the, 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 the Christian church. Then in verse 17, the Bible says this, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they found them not in prison. 
they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And when the captain with the officers, uh, then went the captain, excuse me, with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you, that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And he continues there to speak to the reality that the Holy Ghost had commanded them to do this thing. So we see in here a scenario where there was a direct conflict between the angel which released them from prison, between what he had told them to do and what the government had told them to do. Now there are any number of scenarios where this plays out, and we've talked about any number of scenarios as it relates to our Second Amendment rights or uh, to our free speech rights or to our assembly rights or whatever it might be. And as we've talked through these before, uh, I have always told you this, that this is a general philosophy that I have, and I'll lay out that general philosophy. But at the end of the day, if you want to know what I'll do, I'll tell you when I get there. And the reason why I say that is because uh, there are principles from the Word of God, and there are certain things which are very clear. And then there are other things which are not so clear. And as it relates to those things which are not so clear, we wait and we see what the Lord would direct us unto doing. And then we do, according to the dictates of the leading of the Holy Spirit and the dictates of our conscience, always, of course, first, as biblical decision-making is, filtered through the Word of God. We make sure, first of all, that we do nothing that is not rooted in the precedent found in the Word of God. And there are going to be some debates about this. There is a debate that can be had about this idea. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together and the fact that we are not assembling in a, in a physical way. There's a debate to be had there to where certain pastors are saying, no, we will not, we will not close our doors because we are not going to forsake the assembly. I would uh, think that that would be a little bit of, a, of an extreme interpretation, but, the, ex but the, 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 the debate is there, right? The debate is there as it relates to any number of these contexts. But as we relate specifically to the things which are clear, we recognize that we ought to obey God rather than men. And even in those things uh, which are conscience issues, we ought to obey God rather than men. If I can point to the text and I can give reasoned principles and I can reason those principles out and I am deeply convinced or convicted about a direction, and I use the multitude of counselors, and I, 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 I bathe it in prayer, and we do all of these things, and we come to a conclusion, then you step out and you do that conclusion, you obey God rather than men. But recognize that with that comes consequences. And as we see throughout the scriptures, God's people have always been willing to suffer the consequences of their disobedience. Whatever it is, if you're going to step out, recognize that you're doing so under the authority, under man's authority, they'll answer to God for it. 
but you will suffer the consequences. And you need to be ready for that. So we see in this, this case, we ought to obey God rather than men. And we take that and we filter it through the Word of God and we bathe it in prayer and we uh, seek to the multitude of counselors and we make our decisions. We recognize our liberties. We make our decisions. We see a second principle in Acts 23. This is the final one that I'll give you this evening. In Acts chapter 23, verses 1 through 5, the Bible says this, And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, Paul has been brought before the council in Jerusalem. He has returned to Jerusalem. Uh, he, it was told that uh, by, 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 by prophetic decree that if he goes back to Jerusalem, he will be arrested there, that he will not um, that he will lose his freedom. He does it anyway. He feels deeply compelled to do so. And now he's standing before the council. He's standing before the high priest and the Sanhedrin. He doesn't know he's standing before the high priest, or at least he doesn't know which one the high priest is. But he's standing before this council to answer for these heresies that he is preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the Bible says in verse 1, And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then Paul said unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Paul quotes there from Exodus chapter 22, verse 28, uh, where the Bible says, Curse not the leader of thy people. And so Paul here uh, is smitten on the cheek, and that, is w that, that was against the law. It was, it was contrary to the law. He had not received, he had not done anything that warranted that. And so he immediately rebukes this leader, calling him a whited wall, um, calling him a hypocrite, saying that he stands in judgment and then, uh, and then commands him to be smitten against judgment, against the law. And they immediately call him out and say, would you dare speak to the high priest this way? And Paul actually repents here. He says, oh, I'm sorry, I did not know that that was the high priest. The scriptures say, I will not do this. I'll be consistent. And maybe there's a little bit of sar uh, sarcasm. Maybe there was a little bit of, of a gotcha here. Yep, I'll be consistent. You, you haven't apologized to me yet, Ananias, for your bre breach of the law. But now that I know you're the high priest, I'm going to apologize to you. So once again, we see here a principle whereby um, even though Paul was, was being falsely accused, he is submitting himself to the judgment. He, he went out, he boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, he knew the consequences. He, got, he received the consequences, he submitted himself to judgment. He is going to argue here, as, as he continues, he actually pits the Pharisees and the Sadducees against each other. Uh, a big commotion arises, he ends up being pulled out by the Roman guards, lest he be torn to pieces. And uh, he then very soon would appeal to uh, Caesar and make his way toward Rome. But we still see him here, even when he's in the circumstance where he is receiving the consequences of his actions, where he is being falsely tried simply for speaking, simply because they did not like his doctrine. He was standing before evil men who were trying him, who were falsely accusing him, and who were putting him in a situation where he was at risk simply for spreading the gospel. And yet, he was determined that he was going to do what was right by the leader of his people. That he was going to respect the office and respect the man. And once again, 
as we consider scenarios where we might find ourselves in situations where for any number of reasons outside of us breaking the, 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 the moral law, the reasonable laws of the land, outside of us doing something uh, that is not loving to my neighbor, I find myself on the wrong side of the law, I live out a manner of respectfulness, but also we notice here that Paul was living under and accepting the consequences that came with his choice to defy the leaders of the land for the sake of the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I gave you all of this with the hope and intention that in doing so, it would uh, grant you a measure of perspective. At this point, we are not at a state where there's anything dangerous uh, that, has, that, that has officially taken place as it would relate to our liberties, but if it's anything like what we've seen in the past, if it's anything like post 9-11, if it's anything like post Pearl Harbor, this will be an occasion for the government to strip us of our liberties. We do not know how long the church will be able to maintain favor in society. But what we do need to do within these times is remind ourselves of the principles of God's Word. Remind ourselves why it is that we're not meeting in a building right now. Remind ourselves the extent to which we have sought to submit ourselves to our leaders as unto the Lord in order to maintain a good testimony, to do what is right before God and men, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to make sure we're not unnecessarily exposing ourselves and others and these sorts of things. So we're doing that, and we're doing it in good faith. We, we are exercising our liberty unto this end. And yet, for all of that, we need to be cautious, church. Each step needs to be a considered step. Each step along the way needs to be a step that we are taking deliberately, that we are filtering through the Word of God, that we are going to do our very best to honor the Lord and to honor the King. But if the King and the Lord end up being in some measure of conflict, be it known, we will honor the Lord. 